Today's message is, uh, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. Uh, and why I say that is because uh, normally we have very encouraging words that we like to think of uh, from Jesus. And we come to him hoping for that comfort. And yet what we would find is that uh, as the crowds draw to Jesus, as people begin to draw to him, and, and, and there are a lot of people coming to him, he would turn around and he's going to say some very difficult te- things to them that ultimately many of them would turn around and walk away. And today we get to start that. And so it's, uh, it's probably not going to be the easiest thing for us to grapple with, but rest assured that it is going to be an opportunity for us to be challenged, to be convicted, and for us to grow. And so to start us off, I simply want you to think about what is your favorite food of all time? Okay, put that in your mind. What, what is your favorite food of all time? Anybody want to throw out something to me? Chick-fil-A, lasagna, Europe, that's a country, a continent. <laughs> oh, you're, okay. Um, so we think of these foods, and if you had to think of your favorite meal, it would immediately in you, it stirs something up, right? It's called your stomach, and it begins to grumble, and you begin to get a little hungry because you know that meal is so good and so appetizing. And you know what's amazing is when we try some something new, and it is delicious, we become uh, advocates for them, right? So we run and tell our friends, hey, you got to go try this place out. And normally the way we do that is through Facebook, right? Post a picture, and we say, this is, you have to try this. And all of a sudden, we see these pictures on our news feeds, and we're like, yeah, we need to go try that, right? Now, I want you to think of your favorite moment with Jesus. Does it make your soul Rumble and hunger for him. You see, this is the contrast and dichotomy that we're going to find today is that Jesus is going to take a physical need, a perceived physical need that people come to him with, and he's going to say, You have a far greater need, and it's your spiritual need of me. And this is where he will feed us who he is. And so last week we saw that we are at the mercy of what we fear. We worship that which we fear, and what that means is quite simple, is that if you are scared of something, you will do everything in your power to avoid it, right, to fight against it. So if you fear failure, you will do everything in your power to succeed. If you fear your kids not doing well, if you fear your kids being safe, you will do everything in your power to make them your top priority to to take care of them. And what we found was that Jesus calls his disciples, um, or when they're on the boat, Jesus calls to them and says, it's me, it's Jesus. And so we found that in the midst of chaos, Jesus is the one that cast out our fears with faith. And our call was to trust that Jesus cares for us far greater than we could care for ourselves. And very beautifully, John sets this up for today, where we will be talking about faith. We will be talking about trust. We will be talking about believing in Jesus But the question for us is, what do you believe about Jesus? Not what have you heard, not what have you studied, not what is preached up here, or what have you memorized, but what do you truly believe about Jesus? And what Jesus will do today for us is he will reveal himself, who he is, and in revealing himself, he will show us our true motivation for coming to him. And that is where our faith our true faith will expose our true motives. 
And this is hard, and it's a hard saying that we would come to Jesus and he would say, I am the bread of life. And that is such an encouraging text and such an encouraging statement. And yet he would say, this is actually a really difficult statement because it's going to have to cause you to face yourself in your deepest parts to ask yourself, why am I motivated to pursue Jesus? Why am I motivated to be here? And so whereas last week we unearthed our fears, today we unearthed our motives more specifically Why are we pursuing Jesus? To what end? Now, I want you to say with me, Jesus is better. All right, say it one more time. Jesus is better. I want you to take this small phrase and for the next week, dwell on it, use it, remind yourself of what it means. As we uh, tackle today's text, I wanted to give you just a statement to remind yourself that in the midst of the grind, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the troubles, in the midst of kids not acting right, in the midst of husbands and wives not acting right, in the midst of all this, Jesus is more than enough. In fact, he is better. And only in him do we find true life. When he says he is the living bread, what he is calling us to is true life in him, life that is far greater than anything we could experience here on earth. And so what today we will see is a perceived need contrasted with a real need, a physical need contrasted with a spiritual need. What we will see is a crowd drawing close to Jesus because they want something from him, and Jesus responding and telling them, there's something so much greater that you need. What we will find is a group of people coming to Jesus, hoping to be friends with benefits. And that's a dirty, dirty statement. And what Jesus will say is, I'm not looking for friends with benefits. I'm looking for committed followers. So as we journey through today's text, I want you to dig deep, to look inward, and it's going to be difficult. And I want you to ask yourself, am I pursuing Jesus for his benefits, for his miracles, for his wonders, or am I pursuing Jesus simply for who he is? Because I know he is more than enough. I know he is far better than anything I could ever have in this physical world. So let's get into today's text. Starting on verse 22, and I know I got you hungry thinking about food, so fortunately we only have 37 verses to go through, so we'll try to be quick. So I just want to set us up to where we're at. Last week, we see the crowd, 5,000 draw close to Jesus, 5,000 men. That means that was probably close to fifteen to 20,000 people came to Jesus. They had seen him do all these miracles, and so all of a sudden, he drew a crowd, And what does he do? He feeds them with a few loaves of bread and fish. And so as many of us, as much as we could eat, we wake up hungry the next day. So the next day, the crowd wakes up hungry, and they say, you know what? What should we do for food today? I know. Let's go find Jesus for some bread and some fish. And this is where we pick up on verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now, did you catch the miracle in those verses? Did you catch what happened in those verses? Now, it's very interesting when we think about Jesus being more than enough and all the things he does for us. Because sometimes we miss the things he's doing for us. So John is very specific to point out that there was only one boat that left to Capernaum. 
And his disciples left on that boat. We heard about that boat last week. But he also specifies that Jesus was not on that boat. So how did Jesus get from where he was at to Capernaum? Teleportation. Now, that's the word we use, right? But he miraculously went from one place to the other. So it was, it was a journey on boat this way or on land. You had to cross directly across. But crossing that path was very difficult. So it was a lot faster to go via boat. And yet Jesus, the, the crowd notices, and John specifies, he didn't get in any boat. So how did he get over there? Well, it was miraculous that he ended up in Capernaum the way he did. And the second thing that I, John quickly points out for us is that when Jesus multiplied the bread and the fish, he prayed. And it seems like such subtle things that John points out, but these are very powerful. You see, in, in prayers, where we find the power to do the work of God. And in the small details, it's where we find the wonders of God. So what are we missing? What are the small wonders that we're missing in our lives that God is doing for us. Sometimes it's as basic as waking up with breath. When we are confronted with death or we see death in the news, we wake up grateful that God has given us breath. He has given us food. He has given us our family. He has given us clothing and a home. The simple things that keep us grateful to him for what he has done. Let's not miss the small wonders. Let's continue reading verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. What happens here is the crowd comes with the perceived physical need. Hey, we're hungry. Our stomachs are growling. Lord, do you have any more of that fish and that bread? And what you say, what we see Jesus respond is very indirectly. And in fact, what he responds with is revelation. And now, I've said this before, whenever I read truly, truly, it's like saying for real, for real. You know, like that's kind of how I take it. And I feel like the crowd came to him and was like, Jesus, how'd you get here? And he responds to them almost like, for real, for real? That's what you're asking me? Because what they are seeking his food. And so he's telling them, for real, for real, you're so sneaky in the way you approach Jesus. And you ask him, how'd you get here? What are you really asking for is more food. And so Jesus is going to call them out on that. But the way he does that is by first revealing himself. So he reveals this perceived need and he calls them out on their spiritual need. Now, when Jesus comes into relationship with you or you come into relationship with Jesus, he's going to call you out on some things and they will be difficult to hear. And so will we, be, will we be like the crowd that turns around and walks away? Or we, will we be committed disciples that sit there and listen and obey and learn from Jesus? John Calvin will say this, He who does not aspire to the kingdom of God but rests satisfied with the conveniences of the present life seeks nothing else than to fill his belly. In like manner, there are many persons in the present day who would gladly embrace the gospel if they were free from bitterness of the cross and if it brought nothing but carnal pleasure. It would be so much easier to follow Jesus if all we ever got from him was bread and fish, our daily sustenance, the things that we feel that we need. But what if we come to Jesus with our perceived physical need, and he reveals to us that there's a far greater spiritual need? Not that we don't need to eat. Of course we need to eat. We die if we don't. But he's saying, your need for me is far greater even than your need to eat. And that's a hard saying because we eat three times a day. Some of us eat five times a day and we get full. And yet 
Do we find that kind of fulfillment and sustenance in our relationship with Jesus? So I want to ask you a question to challenge you. What motivates you to draw near to Jesus? Is it the promise that there will be physical needs that will be met? Not saying that's bad. Or are you coming to Jesus for him, for who he is, for what he wants to give you in relationship with him? See, our desires and our requests reveal our motives. What are you praying for these days? It will teach you and show you what you really have in your heart as a motive to come to Jesus. Let's continue to read verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you have that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So the first thing we saw is that Jesus is looking for committed disciples, not admirers. Let me say that again. Jesus is looking for committed disciples, not admirers. And he'll continue into this text where they say, well, Lord, what wonders do you give us? And it's interesting because for me, it almost seems like a silly question. They've seen him convert water to wine. They've seen him heal a couple of people by this point. They've seen him multiply uh, the loaves of bread and, and fish. They've seen him uh, teleport from one place to another, and they are still asking for wonders. And what do they do? They, they quote the Old Testament. So this is a quote from the Old Testament. So we're going to break this down a little bit. Let's go back to Nehemiah 9.15. It's in the Old Testament. So after Ezra. Let's turn back to Nehemiah 9.15. This was what they were quoting. Let me read this to you. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that he has sworn to give them. Now, this seems like a very blessed verse, right? Like, yes, Lord, give me that water. Give me that bread. Give me the promised land. And we hear a lot of people preach on this. Like, God wants to bless you. He wants to multiply you. He wants to give you so many great things from heaven. And it's interesting that even 2,000 years ago, we would take things out of context. We would take scripture out of context. One of the things that hopefully you have seen here at the Grove is that we pursue uh, just Understanding the Bible for what it says it is, not to bless us, to give us what we want, not to have Jesus as a vending machine, but to truly see and understand what the truths of Scripture are. So when we look at Nehemiah 9, the context there is repentance. Context there is repentance. So they quote, and they don't even finish quoting. So let's, let's continue reading there in Nehemiah 9, 16. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you perform among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. Now, it's interesting we would read that and say, why would you want to go back to slavery? And yet, as I look at that, I think that's a cycle that can be evident in our humanity, right? We come to Jesus and we say, Lord, I need you to heal me. Lord, I need a job. Lord, I need my kids to act right. And all of a sudden they do, and all of a sudden you find a new job, and all of a sudden you find what you've been asking for. And what happens? We're no different than the people of Israel. We stiffen our necks. We stop obeying. It's very transactional. And in fact, we sometimes run back to our slavery. What if Jesus is calling us to break that cycle, 
What if Jesus is calling us to break that so that we may find sustenance and sufficiency in him? For you see, Jesus wants to give you the whole pie, not just the box. That seems to not make a lot of sense, but let me put this to you into context, right? It says that they overlook the wonders. We're in the context here of man in the Old Testament. So if you went to the grocery store and you wanted to buy a pie, okay, and there was a, just a beautiful picture of the pie on the box, and you bought this box and you go home and the box is empty, I don't think any of us would say, well, you know what? The picture was really nice, so I'm glad I bought this box, right? We buy the box for the pie inside. And this is what Jesus is about to explain to them is that the wonders in the Old Testament of manna, of water, of the promised land were not the end goal. They were simply meant to point to Jesus in the future. Jesus multiplying the bread and the fish were not to be the end goal. The miracles and the wonders were not. They were supposed to point to Jesus. When you drive to another city, you don't get to the first sign that says Dallas and say, great, we made it to the first sign. Here we are. You drive till you get to the city because that's the end goal. In the same way with Jesus, the end goal of all the wonders and miracles that you and I experience is to see him, to find him, because he is better than everything, even the wonders themselves. And so the people of Israel forgot that. They went back to Israel. And many of us do the same, but one of the reassuring things about the gospel is that if we repent and believe, he is faithful to give us. And so finishing in verse 17, he says, But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in hesed, steadfast love, and you did not forsake me. God has not forsaken us despite the fact that we come to him at times simply for what he can do for us. The challenge today is to find our motives, to call him for what it is, to expose them, and to repent of them. And in so doing, we will find true life, true joy in Jesus. Because he's calling you not to just simply have the box. He's calling you to the pie. He's calling you to himself, far greater. Let's continue reading in verse 32 to 34. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And this is where Jesus breaks it down and they still don't get it. The difference between perceived physical need and true spiritual need. They come to him and Jesus says, Hey, this is what's going to be your true sustenance, that bread that comes down from heaven. And they say, Lord, give us that bread. Because what? That means I won't have to work the rest of my life. If I have this bread always, I'll be good. Many times I think we come to Jesus that way, right? Lord, just, if you just, if you just gave me X amount of money, or if, you, if my kids just acted right, I'd be good. And Jesus tells you, those are good things, and they'll fall in order, or maybe they won't. But in the midst of chaos, the only thing that is actual sustenance is Jesus, the bread from heaven. And they don't get it, and neither do we at times. That's okay. He is gracious and abounding in steadfast love. So Jesus replies to them, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And this is the revelation of Jesus, 
I am the bread of life. A few weeks ago, we heard from Aaron the I am statement of the Old Testament in Exodus 3, where God, Yahweh, reveals himself to his people, and he says, I am that I am. That is his name. That is who he is. And in so doing, here, Jesus specifically uses that term to reveal his deity, to reveal that he is God. He's saying, I am from heaven. Let's not miss this. I am from heaven. It's far greater than the physical. We're talking about the eternal. In fact, the literal translation would be the bread from heaven. It is I. Because he is highlighting that the bread is not the point. The point is him. And so what if the point of blessings in your life are to show you Jesus? What if blessings are, act, or what if blessing is actually the absence of stuff so that you can be full of him? This is not an easy thing to believe, yet this is the invitation. Come and believe in Jesus, regardless of what you think. So he says, I am the bread of life. The invitation is open. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Even in our deepest longings, think back to when you were 15. For some of us, it's halfway through. For some of us, it's a little bit longer. For some of us, it's a little bit less. But if you think back to when you were 15 and you thought, man, what is the epitome of, of life? Right? So go to school, have pizza at lunch, you know, and then maybe cruise around if you had a car with your friends after, after school. And you thought, man, this is great. Life is good. And then you think, the epitome is college. If I make it to college and get a good job, I'll be fine. And then you go to college or you get a job. Things seem okay. You begin to climb the corporate ladder. You begin to date someone. You get married. And all of a sudden, you keep finding yourself that as you keep progressing in life, none of that is enough. We never get enough of life because these things were never meant to satisfy our deepest longings. Our deepest longing, whether we realize it or not, is for Jesus himself. That is the only place where we find true life. So when Jesus says, come to me, draw near, and I will give you bread and wine, you will never hunger and you will never thirst. My question for you is, what are you hungry for these days? What are you pursuing these days without any hesitation? That you wake up Monday morning and you say, this is what I need. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to pursue goals. I'm not saying it's bad to pursue work or your family or growth. What I am saying is that there is a far greater pursuit that will satisfy us on a daily basis. And that greater pursuit is Jesus himself. That's his guarantee that we would find life in him. Verse 36 to 42. But I said to you that you have sent me, you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who has sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And what you will hear Jesus continue to repeat is that he is the bread from heaven, and you continue to hear eternal life, life. Because when we are in him, when we are in relationship with him, when we are pursuing him, that is what we find is longing. Uh, it's satisfaction for our deepest longings, as long as we don't even realize we have. But when we come to Jesus simply for physical need, we, we miss out on all these things. And I've come to learn 
in my few years of life that sometimes God has uh, restrained giving me certain things so that I would find him. And even in the season I'm in now in life, I'm finding that he is showing me he is so much greater. He's so much better than the things that I want to pursue out here. And these things may come and they may not, but they will not waver me from my faith because I know he is far greater. So I have to wonder what it would look like for us to be a church that truly believed this, that truly believed Jesus was enough, that we would be freed up to walk in a world that is pursuing success, that is pursuing status, and sometimes we get caught up in that and we want to pursue that. But what would it look like for us to be so freed up from that because we have such a deep, intimate relationship with God where our deepest needs are filled and we would be people of faith. And so when people see you and when people see me at work, they wouldn't see this go-getter, hungry, cutthroat, I'm going to do whatever it takes, I'm going to succeed. But they would see a person full of faith, a person full of love, a person full of the fruit of the Spirit. And in so doing, we would be able to point to Jesus. Skip down to verse 43. Jesus answered to them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. There's a beautiful little nugget here. You see, Jesus is the one that draws us to himself. Effectual calling is what we know it as theology. But the reality is that Jesus reveals himself to us and in so doing calls us to himself. So what does this mean for us as missionaries? What does this mean for us as people that want to share the gospel? It's quite simple. Your job, my job, is not to convince anyone that Jesus exists or is real. That's not our job. Our job is to be like the wonders and the miracles. Our simple job is simply to point to Jesus through your life, through your words, through your deeds, the things you do, the person you are. We are simply meant to be big arrows that point to Jesus and say, that's who you need to look to. Not me, not the Grove Church, not my neighborhood group. We're simply meant to be vessels that point to Jesus. And guess what? He will be the one that draws our friends who are not believers, our neighbors who are non-believers to himself. Now, the journey is not easy. It's not always overnight. It takes a little bit of time sometimes. But we just trust and we pray. Remember the wonder of prayer at the beginning for our friends, for our neighbors, for our families, for our coworkers, that they may come to know Christ. The third thing I think we find here is that the only source of true life is Jesus, the living bread. Let's go to verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that no one may eat of it and not die. I emphasize that. I don't think Jesus said it that way, just so you guys know. Um, because I think what he is trying to tell his people is, hey, you're looking back and you're looking at the wonders of God in manna. And you're thinking, man, that's so great. Can you just do the same thing for us? And he's telling him those physical things, even if you get them, will lead to death, physical death. Even the things that we pursue that are good, that are physical in this world, will lead to corruption and death. At the end of it all, when we make it to heaven, you won't remember the kind of car you drove. You won't remember the kind of clothes you had. You won't remember the position you had because we will be in adoration and worship of King Jesus, King of King and Lord of Lords. And that's our hope. Our hope is heavenly, not earthly. 
And that's what I want to encourage you to think of today is that if your motives are simply earthly, you will miss the greater heavenly reward that we have. And it's not the physical things, it's the heavenly things. It's Jesus himself. He is the one that came down from heaven. He is our living example. He is God in the flesh. And that is the reason it's all about Jesus. You read through the Old Testament, it's all about Jesus. It all points to Jesus. The New Testament, it's all about Jesus. And I pray that we would be people centered in our lives around Jesus. That we would be like Job in the Old Testament, who if you know a little bit of the story of Job, he lost everything, his family, all his possessions. And at the end of it all, as he dialogues with, Jesus, with God, he says, from hearing I had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I long for us to be a people that can truly say that and mean it. Lord, from hearing I had heard of you, I've come to church and heard all these sermons. I've studied the Bible. I've gone to Bible studies with my neighborhood groups. And from hearing I had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And that that sight and that deep relationship that comes through the chaos, through God working in our lives in the midst of everything that's falling apart, that we would truly find joy and satisfaction in you. The only source true life is Jesus. He is better. His invitation is open to you and me to draw near and to believe. And if we don't believe this, let us repent. He is gracious and merciful. So our simple challenge is to believe. And this is the final thing. I told you we'd go fairly quickly today. Verses 52 to 59. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, I just want to stop us there. Can you imagine if uh, you were dating someone or back when you were engaged or whatever, and your fiance looked at you and said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, we can't be married. We would have been like, Okay, I am definitely not marrying you. This is the wrong person I should have been dating, right? Because it's such a crazy statement that we would eat someone uh, and drink their blood. Like, this is not, this is just really bad sci-fi, right? But Jesus was not talking about sci-fi. He wasn't talking about vampires. He wasn't talking about, he, he, he was giving them a hard saying because he wanted them to understand the heavenly things. He didn't physically mean, come bite my arms. They will keep multiplying for you to keep eating them, right? That was not what he was saying. What he was saying is, you need to feast in relationship with me. Don't miss me because you're too careful paying attention to the wonders. Do not miss me. I am the only thing that will satisfy your true hunger, the hunger you don't even realize you have. So outside of Jesus, there is no life. Verse 53, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. Unless we are truly delighting and finding our sufficiency in Jesus, we have no life. And I can prove it to you. We wake up to work, and sometimes we can't wait till Friday, right? Lord, just get me to Friday. Would you call that life and life abundant? 
or in the midst of your arguments with your spouse or with your friends or with your girlfriend, Lord, just give me through this argument. Is that life, life abundantly? It's not. Or when we're stressed about work or how we're going to make the payment or how we're going to eat, Jesus is saying, if these are the biggest things in your, on your plate, you have no life outside of it. That's what we find in this world is people who are longing for something more and they make more money and they gain more status, and yet it's still empty. Why? Because Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life. Verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. My flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. This is the beautiful guarantee of Jesus that as we press into him and step away from our perceived need and step away from trying to be friends with benefits with Jesus and come to him truly and say, Lord, I just want to be a committed follower. I want to know you. I want to experience you. Show me. Continue to reveal yourself to me. And in so doing, reveal to me the ugly things in my heart, the ugly motivations that bring me to you. Lord, use those things to show me who you want me to be and what you have for me. And what Jesus says is, I'm going to give you eternal life. I can guarantee that your deepest longings will be satisfied. And I promise you that if you abide in me, I will abide in you. Now, if that does not motivate us, and we're missing it. That's the greatest call that we have. That's what drives us on Monday mornings to go to work, even if we don't like our job, to share the gospel with our coworkers. That's what motivates us to be good parents, to be good husbands and wives, to be good friends, to be good neighbors. It's that we have this life abundantly and we're experiencing it. And so we go out to the world and we want to tell everybody about it. Let's finish up verse 56. Sorry. Verse 57, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread for the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And these are the things Jesus taught at Capernaum. So finally, just to end here, it's a matter of life and death. If you're tired of your daily grind and you're tired of waking up and wondering, Lord, is this it? Am I going to just work another 30 years in this job and retire and then what? Or maybe you really like your job and you're like, this is it. Like, I want to do this the rest of my life. And then what? What comes after that? What deeper longings do you have for yourself, for your family, for the kingdom of God? And what Jesus is saying is the living father who sent Jesus to do his will gave him life, and he is promising us to have life and life abundantly in him. If we would step out of our physical, if we would search deep for our motives and repent, Lord, I've, I've come to you because I want your blessings, because I want you to give me these things, and I've missed that you are the greatest thing I could ask for. So let's repent, let's believe, let's draw near, and let's ask God, uh, Jesus to reveal himself to us so that our deepest longings would be satisfied in him. And then I can guarantee you we'll come back to the physical side and our perspective will be a little different. The way we live daily will be a little different because now we have our deepest longings satisfied and so these things, whether they come or go, are insignificant. Jesus is better. Today we get to partake, partake of communion 
where we remember and acknowledge that the only true life we have is in Jesus. So we take the bread and the wine as representatives of his body, and in so doing, acknowledge that the only place we find true life is Jesus. So I just want to leave you with this. We saw that Jesus is looking for committed disciples, committed followers, not admirers. We saw that he uh, wants to give you the whole pie, not just the box. We saw that um, the only source of true life is Jesus, and it is a matter of life and death. So I want to ask you this week, as you navigate your weekly grind, things come up, to use the statement, Jesus is better, when you find yourself having difficulty truly believing that. And allowing the Spirit to remind you of all the things Jesus has taught us so that you may have true life. I want you to really ask yourself what it is you believe about Jesus. Is he really enough or is he just the God that can give you good stuff? Even when his sayings are hard, do you believe? Even if he tells you that you are seeking the wrong thing, do you still believe? Even if things don't go your way and your perceived need is not met, do you still believe he is better? Jesus Christ, we come to you today uh, grateful that you would take the form of flesh, that you would be God in the flesh, and you would come to earth to die for us. Not so that we could have a lot of cool stuff and a lot of good things, but that we could have you, the greatest thing. We are humbled by that reality. We're humbled by the reality that you would do that for us and that you would invite us to draw near, that you would invite us to believe in you, that you would invite us to truly understand that you are far greater than anything in this earth. And I pray that you would convict us if we've come to you simply out of motivation to get stuff. Let us not miss that the greatest thing we could get from you is you, not the cool stuff that comes on earth, simply you. Let us be people that can experience that, that can believe that, that can live out of that. And that can show a world that's longing for something deeper. You are that something deeper. You are that something greater. Because you are from heaven. So you're the living bread. The bread that keeps on giving us life every day. Let us dwell in that. Let us press into that. Let us, uh, in our disbelief, believe that that is true. Lord, thank you for the hard things you say to us. Because at the end of the day, they're not meant to turn us away. They're meant to draw us closer to you. So I pray that today as we leave here and we're reminded that Jesus is better, that we would be drawn closer to you. Let us respond in song and let us be reminded that before we take communion that you are the living bread and that if we really come to you, we will never thirst and we will never hunger. Father, today we will remember that, your sacrifice. And we will not take it in vain because it costs you your life. And Father, that is your unconditional, gracious love that you would die for us, knowing we would still come to you simply for benefits. But over time, you would teach us to believe that you are far greater. Let us believe that today. In your name we pray. Amen.